about five weeks, we have looked at some of the whys, why we do certain things. And in these weeks, we have looked at why, why, why we believe, why, why do we believe in Jesus? That was the first week. And the, the second week, the question was asked, why, why do we pray? It's something that we do a lot. It's what Christians, one of the things that they do. But why do we pray? We asked that question and, and answered a lot of it. Why, why do we belong? Why are we a part of a body of believers like this? Why are, we, why are we here today? Why do we serve? We asked that question. Why do we serve other people? Why do we minister to other people? Last week we looked at why, why do we give this week, today, this morning, I want to talk about why we praise. Why we praise. Why do we do that? Why this morning did we take about 25 minutes and spend time standing here and many of you lifting up your hands or lifting up your voices? Why did we do that? That's a good question to ask. And in this, in this series, that's what we're doing. We're saying, why do we do some of the things that we do? Why did we do that this morning? Was it, to, was it to get us ready for the Word? Was it to keep us awake? Was it to wake us up? Was it to get our blood flowing? Was it to direct our attention? What, what was it all about? Why, why do we praise? Not only here, by the way, hopefully answer this this morning, not, not only here, but wherever we are, why do we praise? I want to start off with, <clears throat> with this word, the word epilogue. The word epilogue, say epilogue with me, would you? Epilogue. Yeah, kind of, a, kind of a funny name or a funny word. An epilogue is a, a literary device that is used to tell the story after the story. You'll see it in a book. At the end of a, at the end of a, a, a book, fiction, usually nonfiction, you'll see the epilogue. You'll find out what happened after the events of the story, their life story is completed. The rest of the story. Sometimes you'll see it on a movie. A, uh, a true story happens and you'll see this person who is a hero in this given period of time and then you find out what happened to the rest of their lives and it's usually just before the credits roll and there will be about five or six or ten lines. They went on and they did this. It's called an epilogue. Epilogues are the story after the story, and this morning I want to look at two epilogues, both demonstrating why we praise. The first epilogue is in John chapter 12, so I'd like you to turn there, please. John chapter 12, and I want you to be ready to read, but actually, you need to understand what happened in John chapter 11 before we looked at the epilogue in John chapter 12. Here's what happened in John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus died. A man named Lazarus died. We don't know the cause. really doesn't matter. When you're dead, you're dead. Right? doesn't matter what leads up to it. It's sad. Some, most are very, very sad. Some are very prolonged. But dead is dead. We don't know the cause of his death, but he was dead. He left behind, Lazarus left behind two grieving sisters. Their names were Mary and Martha. Jesus was their friend. He would often stay with them when he was in the area, Jesus and the disciples. They were apparently some people of some means because they had the ability to put on a party. They had the ability to house Jesus and some or maybe all of the disciples. So we can kind of imply there that, that they were people of some means and Jesus was their friend. Well, when Jesus arrived on the scene after Lazarus had died, he comes to where they are, and the sisters, Mary and Martha, are just a little bit put out. They, they essentially say this, Jesus, if you, in fact, they both say this exact same thing, if you would have come when he was still alive, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have died. If you would have gotten here just a little bit earlier, then this tragedy would not have happened. They were a little bit put out. And yet Jesus, with... Um, who always being intentional in both his timing and his methodology, he, 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 he did not give them so much time in regards to their question. He simply made his way to the dead man's tomb. This is all in chapter 11. When he gets to the dead man's tomb, when he arrives there, 
he, uh, he orders the stone that was covering the entrance to the tomb to be removed. One of the dead man's sisters, Martha, the older sister, said to Jesus, uh, she said in John chapter 11, verse 39, she objected, she said this, but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor, for Lazarus has been there for four days. You understand now, this is quite a long period of time, then and now. He's not only been dead, um, and, uh, uh, but he, they would have buried within 24 hours, and he's been in the tomb now for four days, so perhaps for the better part of five days, this man has been dead. Her brother, her brother dying was tragic. You, you, you can understand that. We've all lost family members, and the death of a loved one is very, very difficult. But, but to be exposed to the decaying body was really, it was really more than what Martha thought she could handle, and, and, and rightfully so. The King James Version of the Bible, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily make light of death or, or a decaying body, but I love this line in the King James Version of this same text, John chapter 11. Martha said, he stinketh. Great King James word. He stinketh. Been there for four days. He stinketh. Well, the stone was removed. Jesus prayed. This is the short version. The, the stone was removed. Jesus prayed, and with a very loud voice, Laz, he, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus, this man who was stinking dead, he is reanimated. Life surges into his body. He stands up. The Bible says he walks out of the tomb. Jesus gives orders to take the grave clothes, the wrappings that were on him, off of him, and everyone, everyone who saw this, and a whole lot of people who didn't see it but heard about it, were absolutely amazed. And why wouldn't they be amazed? Because on the miracle scale of 1 to 10, somebody being raised from the dead is like a 9.5. So the people were amazed. No surprise. Now that's the main story. John chapter 12 contains the epilogue, the rest of the story. This is the, the rest of the story that happened after the dramatic story. But it's an important part of it. Verse 1 of John chapter 12 reads this way. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those who were reclining at the table with him. Let me just stop there for a moment. So it's talking about a party here. They're having a party. Well, of course they're going to have a party. When someone who was thinking dead comes to life, you celebrate. You, you celebrate, and they did. Jesus is the center of attention. Well, I'm not really sure who was more the center of attention, Jesus or Lazarus. I'm thinking people came to see both. I'm thinking people came to see the guy who was raised from the dead and the one who raised him from the dead. Let me tell you, if you heard of someone who came to town who had been raised from the dead and you were invited to a special party, you'd clear your calendar to be there. Even more so if the one who raised him from the dead, of course only Jesus could do that, but he he was there. And so they had this party. They had a party. They had music and they had food and, and there, was, there was just great rejoicing. I'm thinking, it doesn't say it in the Bible, I'm thinking that they maybe had a cake made for Lazarus, a beautiful cake that said, welcome back. I'm just thinking that would be kind of neat. Welcome back. Look at verse 3. And Mary, this is right, this is when the party's going on. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, it's an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let me just explain something here. In that time and in that culture, it was customary to wash the feet of a guest in one's home. We talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago when we saw Jesus himself being in the servant role. 
this would have happened here. Not Jesus washing the feet, but a guest would have washed feet of the guests as they came in. So that, that would have already taken place. But this was different. This is a part, everybody's feet has been washed. They're clean. All the customs and the protocols have been carried out. But now, in the middle of this party, kind of, I can imagine it this way. Mary comes in. She doesn't make a big announcement. She doesn't, she, it, it records her saying nothing. And, and, but she comes in and she's carrying something. She comes to in front of Jesus and she gets down on her knees she anoints his feet with oil. This was different. This was an act of praise. Now you may read through the events of John chapter 12 and think that, well, I don't know if that's really praise. Well, she said nothing. She sang nothing that we know of. But it was an act of praise because she is so grateful for her brother being alive. She is so grateful <coughs> that Jesus came and that Jesus brought him back from the dead, she is so overwhelmed with gratitude, which is central to praise, that she gets down and she begins doing this. says so she took the perfume. By the way, it was really good stuff. It was expensive stuff, valuable stuff. And she took that nard, that expensive, valuable perfume, and she begins to pour it over his feet. Not just a little bit. Not just enough to, you know, work it into his feet or or to, uh, to, to you know, save a little bit. This was, this was valuable stuff. Not just enough to scent the area, but, but she takes the whole, it says there's a whole pint. She takes the entirety of the contents of that perfume and she pours it over both of his feet. All of it. You can picture this. It's running onto his feet, through his toes, onto the floor, onto the ground. She's anointing his feet. It was an act of praise. All of it. All of it. It was extravagant. It was an extravagant gift. It was an extravagant demonstration of praise. It was selfless. And, and it was extravagant because it was from a pure heart that gave no thought to cost. You know what she's doing? She, I, don't, I don't think she was thinking about a whole lot else other than this is the one who, because of him, my brother is seated over there. And if it weren't for him, my brother wouldn't be there. And I am so grateful. And so this thing that I have that is so valuable, I'm just going gonna, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pour it all. It was extravagant. It was also probably spontaneous. She did not bring a towel with her. That's why we kind of think it was maybe spontaneous because that's what you would usually do. You would get a basin, you would put the feet in, you would anoint the feet, rub it in, wipe it down then with a towel, but she didn't do that. It was apparently so spontaneous that she didn't bring a towel, she anoints his feet, there's no basin. And not having a towel with her, she undoes her hair and she bends down and she anoints, excuse me, she wipes his feet with her hair. Please understand there's nothing improper here. There's nothing seductive here, as some people have implied. It's interesting. I've heard people say that well, this was some kind of a, a come on to Jesus. And, and it's an amazing thing that, that some people can read something so intimate and immediately jump to the seductive. And this was not the case. It was intimate. It was very special. It was loving. But it was not improper. It was spontaneous. It was extravagant. It was an act of love. It was an act of praise. It was simply the extravagant and, and spontaneous response of a woman whose brother was dead and was now brought back to life. And nothing, nothing, the cost of the perfume, the party that was going on, any, what anyone else thought or what anyone else did, nothing was going to stop her from going to that place and anointing Jesus' feet in an act of devoted praise. She was going to praise him. <laughs> I like verse 3. It says, it says the, the aroma filled the room. If, if Lazarus stinketh, this room smelleth good. And it did. Others may not have noticed it. Others may not have noticed it. 
but, but all of a sudden, they're talking over here in a corner. They're eating pieces of cake, and they got a corner piece with all the frosting. And they're really excited, and they're talking. And, and all of a sudden, they go, what is that smell? Wow, that's, whoo, that's some powerful, good stuff. What is that? And all of a sudden, within a short time, because the nose is so powerful, picking up on, on senses, uh, it, th- then everyone notices. Every, it affects everyone in the room. started with one, but it affects everyone in the room. Verse 4, but one of Jesus' disciples, this is fascinating, still epilogue. Verse 4, but one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And notice, please, that everything Judas said here was true. You see that verse before you, and everything that he said was true. The perfume could have been sold. The money could have been given to the poor. But his words came, Judas's words came from an infected heart. Can I say this? His attitude stinketh. And here's this act of praise that is going on, and everyone is moved by it, but his attitude, one person's attitude, stunk bad. His words came from an infected heart. Verse 6 explains it. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So he was not looking at this and going, oh. What a terrible waste. In his, in his heart, he's going, oh, what a waste. If we would have sold that, put it in the money bag, I would have got a healthy cut. He didn't care about the poor. His words didn't reflect his heart. His words revealed his heart with his attitude, but it wasn't the whole story. There was something more. Let me just say this. Critical attitudes often indicate sinful hearts. This is the case with him. Critical attitudes often reveal sinful hearts. It doesn't reveal everything, but it reveals sinful hearts. So here's this this event. Here's this place. Two responses to a resurrection miracle. Man, this guy was dead, and now he's alive. But look at the two responses. One person displays extravagant praise, and another person folds his arm and misses the party. They were in the same room, but they were so far apart in heart. One person overwhelmed with praise, focused totally on Jesus, oblivious what was going on in the rest of the room. Just a short distance away, someone going, I can't believe this is happening. I told you there were two epilogues. The other is in Luke chapter 15. It's remarkably similar. I want you to turn there. The main story, very quickly, is about a wealthy man with two sons. One son took his inheritance and he wasted it. You probably know the story. The other son remained home to oversee the family business. The son who wasted his money through a series of harsh events hit bottom, then came to his senses, then repented, and then returned home to his father. That is a synopsis of the main story. It's a story of redemption. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. But the epilogue, the story after the main story, is in Luke chapter excuse me, 15, verse 22, says this. But the father said to his servants, this is when the son returns. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, it's a lot like that other story, isn't it? A lot like that other story. And, and the fact that they celebrated is really no big surprise because a son who was spiritually dead came back to life and they began to celebrate. They had a party. When that happens, people have parties. And then, please notice what that father did. What that father did was really an act of praise. Now, you may think, I don't, I don't really see it may not have some of the elements that you think are a part of praise, but it has the very heart of it. Please understand, I'm not asking the question, how do we praise? I'm, ta- I'm asking, why do we praise? And he's praising here. He's praising. He didn't sing. He didn't lift up his hands. But it was extravagant, and it was spontaneous. 
He started giving orders. I mean, here's this father. His son just showed up, and he's like, wow, we're going to have a party. My son, who was dead, has returned. Man, we're going to have a party that beats all parties. He starts giving orders. He says, go get that gold ring. Put it on his finger. Take those lousy shoes off of him, or maybe he didn't even have any. Put the, put the good shoes on him. He said, get some beef and start the grill. That's what he said, right? I mean, basically, he didn't say, go slaughter a turkey and get a nice turkey breast. I mean, uh, turkey breast. No, he said, get the beef, man. We're going to have veal tonight, and it's going to be on the grill. That's how they did it back then. So when I say, you know, get the beef and grill it, that, it's, it's true. It's right there. Someone, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure someone made a cake, and, and, it, and it had on it, welcome home, or something like that. Because extravagant praise from a man who had seen death turned into life. Extravagant praise from a father who had seen death turn into life. And nothing, nothing was going to stop that father from praising. But once again, not everyone was so thrilled. Verse 25 reads this way. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music, he heard dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. The servant said this, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then verse 28 tells us this, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Can can you see this in your mind's eye? Here's the father. I mean, he's beside himself with joy that someone who is spiritually dead has now come back to life. The one that he didn't know if he would ever see again and certainly never see with a heart that has been changed. But now he's there. He's dirty. He's dusty. He's filthy. He needs a haircut. He needs a lot of stuff. He needs a bath. He needs a a whole bunch of stuff. But he's so overjoyed because his son who was dead is now alive. But then in your mind's eye, can, can you see that, that other brother? Standing just outside the door, his arms are crossed, his, his brow is furrowed, he's angry, it says. His attitude stinketh. His attitude stinketh. Isn't it an amazing thing? Critical attitudes often reveal sinful hearts, and it does here. Oh, he he says he wasted all of his money and all that, but there's really more to it. His words reveal a critical spirit, but there's more just below the surface. There's two responses to a miracle of God. One person displays extravagant praise. The other person becomes angry and misses the party, stands outside. He, he is so close in proximity, but he's so distant in heart. Everyone else is rejoicing. But somebody, because of something in their heart, says, not me. This morning, pretty much every Sunday morning, we spend time in praise. This morning, we spent about 24 minutes in praise. But why do we do that? That's the question, right? It's not the how, it's the why. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we take the time? Let me me back it up a little bit. Why do people prayerfully, our, our praise leaders for that week, why do they prayerfully pray and say, oh God, what would you have us to be sung in praise? Why is it that people come together and and, and make sure that it all sounds good and, and that it comes through the speakers well and so that the words are before people. Why do we do all of that? Why do we take the time? Why do we bathe it in prayer? Why do we do that? Well, here's a big one. We praise because Jesus has moved us from death to life. Amen. 
I put that first. More than anything else, we praise because Jesus has moved us from death to life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you were once dead. But when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, glory to God, you became alive. Now your body's going to give out someday. Even Lazarus, his body gave out again. (laughs) But I'm, I'm thinking Lazarus was really excited to go the second time. I think he got a glimpse of heaven. He had four days in heaven. Well, I got to leave here? You were once dead, but now you are alive. And if there's no other reason to praise, that is enough. It's enough. We praise Jesus because he has moved us from death to life. We praise Jesus because he has transformed people that you know, people that you care about, maybe family members. You praise Jesus because he changed someone that you love very much. How many here, how many here, now you may not have had the big party, you may not have slaughtered the the fatted calf. You may, have, you may have done it with salami. I don't know. But, but when, when somebody that you love came to Jesus, you had some kind of a celebration. How many here has, have done that? Come on, raise your hands. If that's you, you should. When somebody comes to Jesus, we should get all excited. When someone gives their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, we should rejoice. Some of you have been praying for your children, your grandchildren for decades. And I'll tell you, when you receive that phone call or that letter or that email or that text message that they, they gave their, finally gave their heart to Jesus, I'll tell you what, you hardly sleep that night, you're so excited. You're rejoicing. You're, no, you're praising. You're both. Because death has been turned into life. It's one of the reasons, the big reason why we praise. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that if you come on a Sunday morning with the understanding of what Jesus has done in your life. That death, that death to life transformation that only He can do. I promise you that if you come with a heart full of gratitude for what Jesus is doing in other people, some of whom are very close to you, that that death to life transformation that only He can do, if you come with that realization that glory to God, somebody's going to come to Jesus today. Glory to God, somebody came to Jesus last week. Glory to God, Jesus saved my life. He turned me from death to life. I promise you that if you come with that attitude every Sunday morning, if you do that, if you, you, will, you will have an experience strangely similar to that of John chapter 12 and Luke chapter 15. The how, the how of praise will not matter so much when you have the why of praise down. (coughs) It's very important, let me say it again. The how of praise will not matter so much if you have the why of praise in your spirit. So often we think, I can't praise to that song. I can't praise to that style. I can't praise to that tempo. Oh, I can praise when that song comes up. Yes, then I'll praise. So often we say, I can't praise today because I'm hurting. I can't praise today because I'm suffering. I can't praise today because I'm sad. None of those things change the why of praise. We praise Him because He died for me. And he rose again for me. And he has changed my life. He brought me from death to life. He changed those around me. Because of that, I can praise him and I will praise him. Regardless of all this other stuff that's going on. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter who's leading. It doesn't matter what song is. Years ago, when I lived in Minneapolis for nine years, downtown Minneapolis, and uh, you get a whole wide range of different things there. And uh, the church that I went to, it was, it was, it was contemporary. Uh, but they also had some real traditional things. And I was a part of the choir. And I, believe it or not, I was, they put me off on the side and didn't put a mic on me ever. But I was in the choir. And, and I remember just singing some of those great choir songs and, and just praising God. 
And I remember on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on Easter Sunday morning, there was a huge Methodist church in downtown Minneapolis that I would go to almost every early Easter Sunday morning. And, and, and about 6 o'clock they would have a service and they had this huge choir and they would sing Handel's Messiah. It, it wasn't a Pentecostal church by any means. In fact, later on I found out they did some things there that were really disturbing. But I tell you what, I remember standing in that place and hearing that choir, that massive choir, sing a part of Handel's Messiah so good with the organ and, the, and it's so, it could feel it in your sternum. It was powerful. And I remember lifting up my hands and praising God, not caring what other people were doing because I was praising Jesus to a pipe organ. I, I, I've been in places where there have been people guys with tattoos and straight leg jeans and funky hair and they're praising Jesus and I go glory to God because their heart is right. I mean the guitars are going and the drums are going and I mean you can almost feel the, the, your hair parting in a new spot. It's powerful. But they're praising Jesus. It's not so much the how of praise, it's the why. Because he saved me. Don't be surprised, however, if some people question your praise. Don't be surprised if some don't see the sense in the celebration. Don't be shocked if people cross their arms and shake their heads and say, I don't see what the big deal is about. Don't be surprised. You hear people say, why are you celebrating? Don't you know what that person did? Don't you know about their story? I have seen how the Spirit of God can be moving in powerful ways in a gathering of believers. Some people are entirely moved by Him, while others are so, fixate, uh, are so fixated on something else that they totally miss it. They're oblivious to the move of God. And that's it. Same room. Same power of God, presence of God. But so focused on something else that they say, I can't praise, I won't praise. God help us. Some years ago, I'll tell you a little story. Some years ago, one of our, our young adults, his name was John. <clears throat> he only lived here for a short time. He was going to a college nearby. And, uh, and he, was, he was here, and, and he would stand right next to me, right next to me on the front row. <clears throat> and John, man, I tell you, when, when the music started, he would start jumping like that. He would start hopping. He's kind of bunny hopping. First time he did it, I kind of went, whoa, man, well, that's interesting. Never seen that before. Um, um, and, but I, after a while, I just said, you know, I'm just not going to focus on him. I'm not going to look at him. I'm, just not, I'm closing my eyes anyway. I'm praising Jesus. I don't care if he bunny hops. I went on to find out the story of John's life and how Jesus had just absolutely brought him to, from death to life. From death to life. And for whatever reason, there was so much energy in John, he's still serving Jesus with a passion. He's a Facebook friend of mine. I haven't seen him for some years, but any. He, he was so transformed that their energy was in him. He just had to hop. One day, somebody came up to me. Not here anymore, so it doesn't matter. Somebody came up to me, and they said, uh, they said you know, Pastor, would you talk to John? That bunny hopping is really bothering me. Now, you know, anyone ever here have the spirit of slap come on you? You know, it's... it's and I didn't, I didn't exercise it, but I, I, I wanted to. And I, and I told him, I said, man, let me, let me tell you what the guy has experienced <coughs> so much transformation in his life. He's just in love with Jesus, and I know his heart. So I encourage you, brother, I encourage you, just don't even look at him. Just focus in on Jesus. If it's bothering you too much, just sing the song, close your eyes, but praise Jesus. It's all about him. Because if John were trying to draw attention to himself, I would talk to him. But I know that it's not. He's just in love with Jesus and he's hopping. So let him hop. And then I told him this. I said, I would rather have a guy hopping on the front row than sitting with our arms crossed in the far corner of the building. And then the spirit of slap came on him. And no, no, I just... You, you, you get what I'm saying? Sometimes we get so bent out of shape. Well, I think that praise should be this way. Well, I think that it should be this way. Well, I'll tell you what. 
Listen, if you sometime want to... If you want to, if you want to get down on your knees, if you want to lay in this, if you draw attention to yourself, we'll we'll address that. But I'm not really worried about that. What I'm worried about is people who do this rather than people who do this. Let's praise Him. He's delivered us. He set us free. Glory to God. It's all about Him. It's always been about Him. Thing is. When Jesus-centered praise is happening, people's hearts are exposed. People's hearts are exposed. I've seen it happen so many times that when someone starts worshiping Jesus and the aroma spreads, and all of a sudden, someone gets out of, bent out of shape, I just know that their heart's been exposed. I don't know everything in their heart. But their heart's been exposed. The why of our praise the why of our praise. You know what, what I think is really good? Is that, that, that it's not so much how we praise, but that when we praise, we smelleth good rather than stinketh much. I, I, I'm watching the clock here, and I want to be really sensitive to this, but I've got to say this. You know what the biggest challenge that I've had as a pastor? And, and, I, and I, can, I can honestly stand here and say, I, I, by God's grace, by God's grace, by God's grace, he has kept me with a good attitude. Not because of GW, but because of Jesus Christ. Because if a pastor doesn't keep a good attitude, he lasts about two years, and then he's gone. I prayed every day, God, keep me, give me a good attitude. Give, keep me a, I don't want a stinky attitude, God. I want to die an old man, even if I'm not so old. I want, whenever I die, I want to die a sweet guy. I don't want a stinky attitude. I want to, I want to smelleth good. How many here want to smelleth? If you want to smelleth good, say amen. If you want to keep stinketh, don't say anything. Why of our praise is because he is worthy of our praise, and because he turns death into life. How can we not praise him? How can we not praise him? How can we just how can we be in a place and not praise him when we understand that he's turned death into life? The how of praise can be varied. It can happen in a word. It can happen in a song. It can happen quietly, loudly, silently. Doesn't matter. Praise him. Praise him. Sang it this morning. Let all God's people. Praise Him. One more piece of Scripture that I want to show you. There's one more. It's interesting that the Bible says, and this is an Old Testament reference, but the Bible says that God received an incense offering. It was an Old Testament offering. But here's what it says. It was as a sweet-smelling savor of praise. I like that. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. That my praise, your praise, our praise, whenever we praise, here, there, wherever, that we praise Him and that it is sweet smelling to Him. And, and, and if it spreads and affects others in the room, glory to God. That regardless of what the person beside you thinks or says or does, Regardless of how the enemy tries to discourage you from praising. And I know some of you, I know some of you right now. It seems like it's one of those times right now when there's so many hurting people. <coughs> it comes in waves, and it's a big wave right now. I know some of you are going through the trial of a lifetime. And I am not saying that a 24, 25 three-hour period of time of praise is going to make all the bad go away. But I'll tell you what it will do. It'll get your heart back on Jesus, the one who brings death to life. If you do that, you're going to, be, you're going to make it through. He's going to give you the strength. Oh, there's so many more reasons of why we praise. I've only focused on really one. But, but praise Him. And may it be a sweet-smelling savor of praise. It smelleth good 
to him. I would like you to do this, please. First of all, would you please bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to give an opportunity to anyone here this morning who has not yet begun the journey of following Jesus Christ. Say, how does that happen? It happens very simply. It did not come at a cheap price. Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to provide you and me eternal life. Our responsibility is then, or opportunity I should say, is to receive it. He will not force it upon you. You must receive it. This morning, if you have never yet begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you perhaps once made a prayer, but you really feel like between that time and today, you've really wandered far from God, and you want to say, today I want to start again. I want to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I want to I want to follow him. I'm, I'm not going to try and figure it out myself. If that is you this morning, before we go any further in this service, would you please raise your hand and lift up your eyes and catch my eye, and I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here? It's really important that I do this. Is there anyone here? I'll pause just a moment. Okay. Uh, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you all to open up your eyes and look at me. Would you do this? There's someone you know that needs Jesus, and you need to invite him. I'll give the opportunity again, but you need to invite him. You need to build relationships with people. Lead them to Jesus Christ yourself. Or if not, bring them here. Get them exposed to other believers. Get them close in tight and hear people praise God. We'll give the invitation. We're going to reach this world. We're going to do it one person at a time. We're doing it together. My friends, we're doing it together. Would you wait and expect someone else to do it? You have a holy responsibility. Let's reach our community. Let's reach our world. Come on, folks. Let's do this. Let's do this together. Somebody you know, and you've been working on praying for them, but you haven't invited them for a long time. Well, you invite them. You pick them up. You take them out to lunch afterwards. You invite them to sit with you. And maybe at the right time, you lean over to them and say, would you like to accept Jesus Christ? I want you to do that. No exceptions. That's how we're going to reach our world. I can give a thousand altar calls. No one will ever respond if they're not here. There'll be thousands of people that you meet, they'll never respond if you don't take the gospel to them. So we're in this together. Now here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you all to stand, please. I'd like you all to stand. Even those who are wearing crutches, stand up. Hallelujah. We're going to sing this song, and here's what I'd like you to do. We started our time with praise and we're going to end it with praise. We sang this song earlier, but I want you, I want you to focus on Jesus. Don't focus on the people who are behind me. If you know the song, don't even focus on the words on the screen. They're only there for you if you don't know it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus on the person of Jesus Christ who died for you, who saved you, and brought you from darkness to light. I want you to focus on the one who is going to bring light into the darkness of your loved ones in the weeks and months and years ahead. We're going to praise Him. We started with praise. We're going to finish our time with praise. And then we're going to leave as praising people, lifting up His holy name. Worship team, would you lead us? Let's sing this. Let's praise this together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul.
to flee and you're fighting this I want you to receive I want you to receive this word from the direction of the Holy Spirit seems like the heavens is brass, but he's 